0: One of the
1: main reasons I was excited about coming to CSU was the opportunity to kind of apply my HSR, my health services research, to the community-based support services they were doing. And because, I mean, the staff would, you know, again, interviews and talking to people, they they are literally providing life-changing services to individuals with disabilities. And so you don't have to be a PhD (laughs) to recognize or appreciate those impacts. And so when I'm advising people on the academic path, you know, you got to know the rules. Sure. But at the same time, there are more important things that you can not wait as long as I did to start appreciating or highlighting. Sometimes when you're thinking about impact, you can leave the factor part of it out for a while, right? Exactly. Yes. start with impact. Factor will take care of itself. Welcome to Health and Human Science Matters, a podcast by Colorado State University's College of Health and Human Sciences. I'm your co-host and digital media strategist, Avery Martin.
0: And I'm Matt Hickey, Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies. In our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well-being through discovery and innovation. Don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission, our college faculty and staff. And today, all the way from occupational therapy, we've got a friend and colleague, James Graham. James, welcome. Thank you, Matt. Glad to have you here with us.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate you letting me be part of the series you got going here it's, it's pretty impressive i, li- I like to like the idea of this we're
0: Thank having fun it's you. it's been a pleasant surprise since uh the genesis of the idea a couple yes. years ago which which really neither one of us can take credit for novel, so, <laughs> so we're looking forward to getting to know you we we know you to varying degrees I think in a professional setting but over the next you know forty five minutes to an hour we're going to uh, inquire about you know your pathway and family and where you grew up and mm. what possessed you to want to be an academician and all these things so we'll we'll look forward to to hearing some stories but we want to start with James at CSU and when you think about big ideas big challenges big problems that you and your team pursue how would you characterize that
1: Yeah they they are getting bigger these days aren't they um, <laughs> I I really have two distinctive research lines and uh, they're distinct in name only as they are suspiciously similar in approach and intent. So my longstanding research program has been health services research. And so it's this interdisciplinary study of access to care, cost and quality of care, and of course, outcomes of care. And so we, you know, using real world data, we study normal people and receiving routine care in everyday healthcare settings. But since coming to CSU, I've added community services research. So labeled by myself <laughs> uh, to my research program, and so in same same vein, we study normal people receiving regular support services in everyday communities or educational settings, and so it's kind of a, applying my old skills and my my training to, to to the CSU needs and the groups I'm working with. So I, I've really enjoyed it.
0: And I'm going to ask you to unpack that a little bit more. Well, of course, I suspect to circle back to it a couple of times. But when when you're studying sort of healthcare services, is it barriers to access? Or are there sort of demographic differences that emerge? Yeah, um, much,
1: much of what I study is health policy and how, how health policy then impacts either access or quality or, or outcomes of care. And so you think it was, so I started in 2005, five six, And so, you know, there's the Affordable Care Act, there's the Impact Act, and there's major legislation over the last 10 years or 15 years that weren't, that was kind of unprecedented prior to that. So that's kind of shaped my my focus is how providers you know, react to policy changes. It's an annual thing, but there's been a few monumental events in in time. And then, and so it really comes down to, it's you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of methods underneath health services research, but the natural experiment, I guess, is kind of where I, I, I fall as my primary interest. And um, like I said, I've typically focused on health policy, but I was also prior to CSU, I was at, uh, in Galveston on the coast of Texas, Mm -hmm. the University of Texas medical branch. And so, and we went through several significant hurricanes, yeah. and so that instant opportunity for not just natural experiment, but natural disaster experiments, yeah. and uh, and so we were able to look at you know how you know, cause, you know we talk about the pandemic lockdown and everything else, but I mean everything was obliterated basically for for months at a time. So we could do those natural experiments like how did health at the time it was all healthcare was what I was was studying, and so you know and I don't know how. Where you guys are of recent events, but there was a pandemic a few years ago. And you don't say <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Read, read about it, and uh, and so that that too. I mean, that's a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity for sure. for for people. Who so if you look at the literature now, it's just flooded with you know po- post pandemic lessons learned and and where, where we go from here. We we'd submitted a couple grants early on uh, NIH grants to try to jump on the COVID bandwagon. Sure. For I, I do primarily rehabilitation research, but. To look at some of that stuff, but you know, none of those hit, so I'm not one of those opportunists who have who have contributed to post-COVID literature. But that, that was the kind of scope is what sure, I'm talking about, sure. is what we're doing. But mm-hmm. and now that I'm here at CSU, you know, you don't have to. We don't have to wait for the next pandemic to look for kind of those things. And so what I've learned to you know, health policy, and I can I can say with probably 50% you know accuracy, <laughs> certainty that uh, you know a policy, whether it's a national health, you know, Medicare policy or more state, or local, or organizational, they usually deliver on the focused intent. And, and I think as our, we just moved to a, a doctoral program, so with our first cohort, with the kind of the holistic approach, it is a much more diverse class in, in enrollment. But the cautionary tale there is that the more interesting and provocative findings are usually in the kind of collateral changes or the unintended consequences of those, mm-hmm. those, uh, you know, policies or sure. initiatives. And so that's where the the focus needs to be it can't just be looking at the class photo before and after you know look at a couple demographic or socioeconomic profiles and say see we delivered because right. it's the resources and it's the persistence and graduation and satisfaction all those kind of things that go into that 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 need to be you know and they aren't in the sublisting on the policy it just someone needs to take the initiative to follow up on those so right. that's kind of two examples of you know kind of bigger healthcare stuff and then you, locally, you don't you don't need grant funding to evaluate internal policies or changes. So, I want
0: to, uh, for the sake of our listeners, talk a little bit about what what one means when one says a natural experiment, right? So, you know, those of us that that are experimental scientists might think I'm you know I'm bringing people into my lab setting and in some way I'm constraining or manipulating their environment, right? And yeah, that's the experimental approach that probably first comes to mind. So tell our listeners what, what a natural experiment is.
1: Well, that's and that's just what I mean, it's and it's much messier. So the,
0: the real world is a lab, <laughs> and, but
1: you don't control those parameters. Exactly. And so it, it literally is just uh, observing its observational research mean you, you probably teach research methods, too. There's all mm-hmm. these quasi experimental, all these kind of things. You know, if you don't get all the, the three criteria for a randomized controlled trial, it's right. it's some other class. And that's what this is. It's just observational research, and so then you have to be. And it, it's a slippery slope or a difficult thing for people to understand because you can, oh look at all this data I have. You throw it in, you get you get answers, right. but not necessarily the correct answers. And so, a lot of it's through you know different statistical design and the different setup, in how you make sure you do control for as much as you can control for. Sure. It. And the rest, it's you usually have a pretty big limitation section in in this kind of research but it's in, it's important because it's
0: it's a, uh, an effort to understand how health systems operate absent some manipulation of some yeah. you know experimental setup which you know cuz we all know the spectrum is of experimental research has got limitations on both ends right when we get into lab settings where we're you know control freaks yeah right how well does that translate to the the real world often very well right because <laughs> all the natural interplay of different dynamics we're trying to squash that exactly right?
1: and so if you want to get nerdy on it which you clearly do is <laughs> is, is, is total opposite so the experimental research is focused on internal validity right. are these you know mechanistically exactly. so. whereas the observational research is total external validity mm-hmm. is what's the application and like you said they both have limitations and and, and but that's that's for my whole career has been is in more of the observational and external validity what's how is this impacting people and so you know and you mentioned health systems that's where I spent a lot of my t- like prior time and so now the you know everything has a buzzword now but learning health systems mm-hmm. and they're not doing it for you know, academic street cred they're doing literally to improve quality improvement and program evaluation kind of thing and so and but I think in it an education should be we should be a CSU should be a educational learning system and so I think you can apply those same methods to to whatever your services or, or or your your role is. And so that's that's kind of what I'm trying to do in our center, in the Center for Community Partnerships. So it's a work in progress. As is everybody's yeah, exactly. career, yes. right? Yes.
0: Very good. Well, we want to we want to wind the clock back a little bit. So if you're willing to talk to us about um, your pathway, so how did James get to CSU and be leading the CCP and and doing all the things that he does? And this, you know, has ranged over our conversations. You know, sort of where did I grow up and family influences. We're always interested in mentors, you know, people that really had a significant impact. And, and many of them probably still do, right? Yeah. So talk to us about that pathway of yours.
1: Yeah, well, I, I grew up in rural northern Wyoming. Which, no kidding. Yeah. Is there any, anything as non-rural northern Wyoming? <laughs> <laughs> <Is that redundant? laughs> yeah, so it was a small town. It wasn't exactly a preparatory academy for Rhodes Scholars. Uh-huh. Right. Are you willing to name the town? Cali, Wyoming. Cali, 450 Wyoming. 450 people. Jeez. We just lived right on the outskirts of town there. Wow. Wow. Our roads got paved when I was a junior. We had dirt wow. roads in town that until I was a junior. Wow. So. so anyway, but my brother and I have to share the first generation classification. So he's two years older than I am, so he was the first one to go to college. But then okay. he he pursued a religious mi- mission overseas while he was in college. So that gave me a chance to catch up. So I was the first one from our family to graduate from college. Uh-huh. But then he ultimately he went on and got a Ivy League PhD from Brown and I've been state school my whole life but uh, <laughs> but uh, all I say is who's doing the podcast now <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah we both both came out of there and both you know went on to get PhD so it's kind of so unexpected is, but it's it's really interesting that both of you had doctoral degrees as, yeah. as
0: first-gen students so how did the, even the idea of college let alone graduate school cross your mind
1: yeah and I mean neither one of them went to college they weren't you know but they clearly knew that the Times had changed, sure. uh, and so it wasn't, I, I don't remember being pressured or anything else, but it's just, first of all, I had my brother as a model, so I was like, yeah, college. Yeah. So where where did you go for your undergraduate degree? I went to the University of Utah. Uh-huh. Go Utes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so then I had started a journey, and so I, anyway, I studied biology and chemistry and kind of going down the basic, you know, Matt Hickey kind of guy. Uh, got <laughs> interested Luckily, in that. you escaped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, so, then, and so I went out, actually, I, I went to chiropractic school after that, so mm-hmm. I lived I was down in Dallas and I really enjoyed that because I was my whole like, thing was I was interested in the human, you know, optimal function, human performance. And, sure. And that just seemed like a great uh and it hit. I mean it was great education. And then so then I practiced for three years out in Indiana. Uh-huh. And uh enjoyed that, but it was just it was in the nineties and it was it was more business than practice. I was self employed, so I had to do it all myself. Yeah. And I started teaching at a kind of technical college but it was basically a pre health profession school. And I really I I just loved it. I thought I'm sure I wasn't good at it, but I thought I was good at it at the time. And I thought, man, I, this would be great. Just enough. At the time, I thought I'll do both. I'll practice a little and get a faculty job and do that. Mm-hmm. But but uh, then and probably now, I don't really recognize the clinical doctor of chiropractic degree. And so I couldn't get, uh, you know, I applied for a few faculty jobs, couldn't get it. So I thought, oh, well, yeah, I'll just get a master's and you know, and that will kind of prove to people that I'm an academic. So I went down to Beaumont, Texas. I got a at Lamar University. I got a master's in uh, health and kinesiology. And I taught a few classes there and again loved it. But while I was there, I was working in this, it was called the Human Performance Research Lab. I think the next year I became the coordinator, whatever the leader of it was. And I was like, and I was doing research. So I had some MDs from the community and we're oh, doing research. I was yeah. like, man forget teaching I really love doing research and so anyway this is not the path you'd want to take to, to academia but it did work out for me and so I thought well yeah you know I'm a coordinator I got a few things going here I'll apply for now I can apply for a faculty job still nothing and so one of the guys working with there in the performance lab that we were running there he uh he was from Buffalo he got his MD at University of Buffalo and okay. I didn't know much about it but I was I, was, I knew I kind of want to do more physical medicine and rehab kind of thing and they had one of the Few programs in the country back then, so I then shuffled off to of Buffalo and and I got got my PhD there, and then I could finally get a job.
0: It was and the PhD was in like a rehab, called Science? rehabilitation Sciences, yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, so so uh, you, you, I'm looking for mentors here along the way, and again, it sounds like maybe this orthopedic surgeon, and maybe not a mentor in the sense of a durable thing, but a, a, a nudge yeah, or something. No, no it
1: the the was line. it was it was a suggestion, and you know, he had an uncle there, okay. and so you know, just kind of he he didn't okay. live in Buffalo at the time, but anyway, so. I... That's, that's when I started looking. This was kind of again, this is '90s, and so it wasn't like vast, you know, Google search to to find these things. So it was kind of word of mouth, uh, still at that time for me, at least. And so, anyway, so I got up to Buffalo, and I, my PhD experience wouldn't, wasn't exactly stellar. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing to do with Buffalo, but I did win the lottery on my postdoc mentor, and so Ken Nottenbach is his name, and he was literally a pioneer in the field of rehabilitation research. And so I went. He was down in Galveston at UTMB there. He 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 was formerly, in fact, I was at Buffalo on a grant that he'd written, a training oh, grant. Oh, no kidding, that's yeah, wow. yeah. yeah, one of the uh, Nidler AART grants. Sure. Uh, and he'd left two years or so before I got there, but anyway, so I I knew of him from yeah. that. Like, he basically funded my education, I never met him. Followed him on down to Galveston. Yeah. And so, and he didn't know me, and so, but <laughs> I, uh, it was, uh, yeah, he was actually on my dissertation committee, and he was actually a giant in the field too, but finally graduated, and I went down to Galveston, to University of Texas Medical Branch there to, uh, Interview with Ken with nothing more than a recommendation and a pending PhD in three three months, and Rain so prayer, right? yeah, it was. <laughs> so I mean, I, I would not be competitive if I hadn't. As why the lesson here is networking matters and and you know, your your mm-hmm. you know, uh, recommendations are important at that at that stage. And so, but anyway, because of that recommendation alone, he he took a chance on me and followed by giving me unique opportunities, followed by giving me critical responsibilities, and so. You know they say don't stay where you did your postdoc but i was like i'm not letting go of this mm-hmm. yeah and so i went from postdoc to full professor director of the phd program and many other roles with you know within 12 years there at utmb and then oh, it, it yeah. clearly launched me to get this get this job here so all of that and you know none of that would have happened without his dedicated mentoring and uh, yeah. and support and so yeah I try my own little mini-me way to, you know, I remember that when I'm, when I'm supporting my I clearly can't be Ken Ottenbacher, but that yeah. it was life-changing for me. And so I think that's what mentoring and advising is all about. There is a
0: generational aspect to this, isn't it, yeah. for all of us, right? Yeah. Yeah. In, in many ways. So let me let me pause before we talk about this transition from, from Galveston to CSU, a little closer to home. So younger son of a of a rural family from Wyoming with two doctoral degrees. So, who's got the bragging rights? You or your brother?
1: Yeah, again, Brown, you know, Ivy yeah. League. I don't know. It's like what to do go. I like, said, like, like, go, go, to a land grant university. Jeez. Uh, talk uh, to me when you get your second doctorate. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, w- I wouldn't <laughs> suggest that path for anybody, but it, yeah. clearly it worked out for me. So.
0: So you're rock and rolling at Galveston. You you transition from a postdoc, and in a short period of time, you move through the academic ranks to, to full professor, and then somehow an opportunity at CSU comes across your radar screen. Talk to us about that. How did you become aware of it, and, and how did we manage to recruit you?
1: Yeah, it was actually uh, Pat Sample. Oh, course, so she, was, yeah. she was a yeah. professor here, and she was the uh, chair of the search committee so when they were like any time out you know you do your normal kind of public thing but then you're like anybody else on the list and so she contacted me I'd actually side note I'd applied just for faculty kind of position at CSU four or five years prior uh-huh. and didn't get it uh-huh. but I'd, I'd met everybody and Pat knew who I was and then clearly my career continued on but and so when she reached out and I was like no nah, <laughs> been there tried that before no thanks she said no but this is the you know, director of the Center for Community Partnerships and I was like tell me more and so as I got to reading that job description and, and you know, I, I remember because I would interviewed a little bit, I, my the previous job I applied for had nothing to do with that, but I was impressed by it. And so then when that, you know, Kathy Shelley had retired a few years prior. And so when she told me about that, I said, let me, let me look, let me think. And uh, I, I was just totally captivated by the idea. So mm-hmm. I, that's why I applied and I came up and interviewed and got even more rejuvenated. I was just excited about the opportunity. So and it, it worked out. Just our listeners again, going do know. I I don't know when I started. It was a long process, but it, I, I got here in March of 2018. So those interviews probably would have been in the spring of 2017. Yeah, okay. It might have been earlier because I couldn't, it took me a while to unwind everything I had going on. Sure. So I had to delay the start date, but it was 2017.
0: Yeah. So you're coming up on five, six years in the saddle here. Yeah, five right? years yeah. next month. Yeah. All right. Great. Good. Yeah. Good. yeah. And so talk to us about what you do on a day-to-day basis. You've got a team. It's not just a one-man show. What does a day in the life at the CCP look like? There is no
1: routine day there. So I have staff of uh, administrative professionals. And so they provide supported education, supported employment, health, and independent living services for CSU students and individuals from the uh, community with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so that, and they've been doing that for thirty years. I mean, different different formats of programming, but just really a foundational service organization in the community, let alone CSU. And so that's the the daily grind, I guess, is the supported uh, services. And then on top of that, clearly is the kind of the research component that I was tasked with leading.
0: Postdocs as part of your team as well?
1: Yeah. So I I have uh, I I supervise four currently. I have four PhD students and a postdoc.
0: And these PhD students, are, again, for our listeners, well, there's a PhD in sort of rehabilitations. It's called
1: occupation. Uh, we have a PhD program in, in addition to the occupational therapy doctorate, the clinical degree program. It's brand new, the OTP. Yeah, it started right, this yeah. last summer. Uh, we have a PhD in occupational and rehabilitation science. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of you know kind of the occupational ther- uh, science theory mm-hmm. and then the rehabilitation science, is, which is more my specialty, I guess. Cool. Yeah.
0: So several PhD students
1: and several postdocs. Yep. Is- I one postdoc right now. I okay. had, I've had a few over the years. But I got one one current, and, and and it really, you know, academia can kind of get you down from time to time. It is mm-hmm. it is grind, and and the pandemic didn't help anybody's motivation. Sure, right. But I I just got an incredible cohort right now, and so just you know their, their passion and their potential is really inspirational for me right now. That's awesome. And so it it just reminds me of how you know, fun my journey was back. Back, back in the day, and, and also how rewarding research, teaching, and advising can be. So I'm really enjoying this this current cohort I have. That's great. Now,
0: your PhD trainees land where? Give us some examples of what are they doing now.
1: I have uh, Julie Julie uh postdoc with me, but sure. right after she graduated, and now she's just running our whole, uh, the capstone process for the, for our OTD program. So that's a, that's a fun one because I got to work with her. She was great support and help for me in the in the center, and now she's you know, leading that thing, yeah. and she's a colleague, so I can. No, I don't great. have to email her; I can just check on her <laughs> every, every day. Yeah, good. That's great.
0: Now, physical location—you've—you've you've, um, bebopped a little bit around campus, I think, right? Yeah, like, we uh, originally we were in
1: the yeah. OT building on the oval there, uh, but like, 2019 uh, we moved her to Alder Hall, mm-hmm. which is just down the road here from Spruce, right next to the uh, old field house. Mm-hmm and so the cool part is just this last summer three other centers from the college moved in and so we got the prevention research center the social work research center and human animal bond in colorado yeah mm-hmm. that's pretty cool to have. Those yeah. All oh, it's cool great. yeah it's very nice so it just and it's all chhs and right. so it's you know it's nice just to kind of get have additional center energy and and also that collaborative potential just right down the hall for sure so let's unpack community partnerships a little bit more. So how are you creating partnerships within the community? And what are the eight units under the CCP? Because it's it's definitely sprawling. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, no, not yeah. putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't have to name them all. Yeah, okay, but good. but how, is, are you, how are you are you making connections and impacting the community? Because it's it's in the title. But. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was, it was purposeful in the title. I we didn't it.
0: warn you about the pop quizzes, did we? I know. <laughs> we got <laughs> eight, eight programs
1: in Yeah. Um, and it was purposeful in the title. I, mm-hmm. They actually rebranded it several probably decades or so ago but so it all it all predated me clearly it's just been i mean we have contracts with the division of vocational rehab to provide supported employment we clearly have personal relationships with local employers who uh you know support our our participants in there and then i don't dare start listing campus partnerships or i'll miss some but you know student disability center and all the other units under student affairs Uh, we partner a lot with the uh Adult Learner Veteran Services Center on, on a lot of our veteran programming. A lot, they've just been longstanding, you know, and they, A, have to value neurodiversity and they also have to kind of subscribe to the strength-based approach to, to success. And so, and that luckily is easy, easy to find. I mean, it's a, that's an easy sell when you're, that's what you're saying you're promoting. And so a lot of it's, yeah, like I said, local community uh, businesses and agencies, the state and then campus is just a, a gold goldmine of, of partnerships. Absolutely. And so how does this complement your research? Incredibly. And so a lot of these, so the partnerships we have, and it is, it's, I think it's just a natural extension, you know, because the service side is people are inspired by that, but then clearly as a R1 university, it's also, what's, uh, what are you working on? What can we collaborate on? And so one one project that I'm particularly excited about was just launched last month. So in partnership with Debbie Fidler from the Department of Human Development, Family Studies, and uh, Kelly Anns and Nathan Clark from the College of Ac- Agriculture, so we received funding from Larimer County, the uh, Workforce Innovation Grant program they had, and we were piloting an inclusive post-secondary education program uh, at CSU for individuals, adults, but from the community, they're interested in either agriculture or STEM careers. And so it just started, and we've had really good, uh, tremendous support from the offices of admission, registrar, and the p- provost, you know, in getting this this launched. And so it's kind of dual. It's clearly we have the research under undermining to make sure and do program evaluation and to look at outcomes, but it's there's also just the service side and the and the opportunities for individuals. I mean, if you think about it from a personal perspective, uh, meaningful employment is inarguably associated with uh, independent social interactions and quality of life. And this the reason we got the funding is because this project also kind of answers the state's call for competency-based right. you know, non-degree credentials that they're trying to push, which discussion from the other day when you're a uh, Degree, granting university but it, <laughs> that's what this innovative uh, funding was for and so you know I, I really have and it's the first I've been trying to do it we actually had it set up before have I mentioned the pandemic lately <laughs> before the pandemic we had donors and everything set up for you know to launch it and they all the way up to the president was like yeah let's do this and then little we had the, the planning meeting on March 3rd of 2020 but anyway so I'm it's back and and we have full support and I'm, I'm just I have extraordinarily high expectations for this sure. project mm-hmm. but that's because I have an extraordinary team that I'm working with so I think my expectations are justified but it is totally its collaboration it's across university and then clearly with the you know county partners and we're doing the, a lot of it at the R deck the, the research center of a research farm just outside of town it's a team effort for sure been a lot going on my friend yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 cool you know
0: that's a, a great platform for us to ask you to project over the next 5 years things you hope might bear fruit from these multiple collaborations that you've got going on
1: yeah well i mean i'm sticking to that same one there in terms of the inclusive education thing i i hope that becomes a sustainable you know exemplary program for yeah. what you know what the benefits and what the actual return on diversity equity and inclusion are and so i you know i can see that and again it'll probably be a fun Research arena for me, but I, I I can see that just being a you know, a viable program. There's there's hundreds of these across the country. It's it's I think it's actually kind of embarrassing that CSU hasn't hasn't done this before. So uh, in terms of the other kind of research projects, you know, I'm, I'm still all, all my uh, PhD students and my postdocs are the traditional health services research. You know, still doing the medical rehab, and so just watching them first author publications now. They're getting funded now. They're Taking over committees that I started in our national organization, and that I, I just—I I remember those milestones myself, sure. you know, going through. But I—I I, I love even more helping them and seeing them achieve those. So it's mm-hmm. kind of my role now is I really just advising and mentoring is a is a riot.
0: Turned out to be a good mentor after all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still,
1: too early to tell, but still i still working. I'm trying. Yes. Yes.
0: You know, you and I both sort of fit into a different mode. We nobody would mistake us for early career investigators, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, it seems to me, at least in my own pathway, that you start thinking a little bit more about things like legacy when you get to our stage of professional development. And I'm, I'm eager to hear your thoughts on seeds you
1: hope you've planted yeah. that
0: will continue to bear fruit long after you're retired.
1: Yeah, I'm not probably like you. I don't really have time to think about legacy. But, but you know, like other academics, early in my career, I focused on impact factor and citation count. And yeah h index you know and, and all those reflect kind of recognition by other researchers and so a lot of the research cred is they're largely web-based um, and they quantify the public's exposure to your work and so that, you know things like views downloads shares news links blog mentions or whatever that is and now of course thanks to you i can add podcasts Podcast. yes, yeah. indeed. Podcast yes. One. Yeah. <laughs> um, But, and they they are arguably better impact measures of your, you know, what, what your work is doing, but they still don't reflect the actual influence on policy or practice. And so I realize I'm kind of a broken record on policy or practice, but, but I still remember a keynote uh, speech by his name was Gerben de Jong back when I was a giant in the field back when I was a wide eyed postdoc. And he said, the truth is evidence doesn't drive practice. Policy drives practice, exclamation point, pause for effect. And, uh, so you know, just imagine my identity crisis. Here you know, I was a health services research <laughs> trained in evidence based practice, and that's how you change everything. And uh, and you know, thought I was contributing to the knowledge base, but it, it, it's true. You know, it's clearly evidence does matter, I and mean, evidence should inform policy. It should be evidence based policy. Right. But but it was it was kind of a not necessarily a watershed moment, but an aha moment for me to think, mm-hmm. oh, man. And so you know, luckily in our stage, you know, fast forward several years and a few promotions later is that, you know, I can now comfortably embrace the fact that my target audiences are are patients or, or participants, family members, service providers, sure. you know, uh, administrators and, and, and uh, policymakers more so than other researchers. But again, it's at stage specific in your career when you can afford to do that because promotion and tenure criteria haven't changed. And so I'm, I'm actually quite proud when my, my team's work uh, gets cited in, in government documents mm-hmm. through the so-called gray literature, you know, it doesn't add to our H-index, but it is directly linked to policy. And so I, I remember 14, 15 years ago, I first, when I first first got an email from, it's called the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, or MedPAC. And they wanted to, back then, you know, now they can just get it. But they can you send us your recent article on, I can't remember, volume outcomes or something. We want to include that in our report to Congress. And I was like, I was literally just a <laughs> professor. I was like, I have arrived. Well, it's 2023 and I'm still waiting for arrival, but it's that that's the kind of, to me that's impact and that, Very, that's motivating and so I mean, because, I'm trying to teach my trainees that like don't try to get that too is along the way but those and you have to count those yourself sure. you have to you yeah. have to kind of promote those yourself but that that to me is the the payoff for our type of research you know the metrics are always a funny thing and I we know. tend to one pops up and we all chase it like
0: it's the coolest thing since sliced bread and in, in our, you know, when I taught our grad methods class for years, I, I would always have them read a paper called "The Natural Selection of Bad Science." <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> I was really, it was really, crit- it was I'll me. send it to yeah. you. Yeah, it was a rather uh, eye-opening
1: critique of some of these metrics, you know. Um, and that's what you know. Back to an earlier question you had is you know one of the main reasons I was excited about coming to CSU was the opportunity to kind of apply my HSR, my health services research, to the community-based support services they were doing. Because, I mean, the staff would, you know, again, interviews and talking to people, they, they are literally providing life-changing services exactly. right. to individuals with disabilities. And so you don't have to be a PhD to recognize or appreciate those impacts. And so when I'm advising people on the academic path, you know, you got to know the rules. Sure. But at the same time, there are more important things that you can not wait as long as I did to start appreciating or highlighting. Sometimes when you're thinking about impact, you can leave the factor part of it out for a while, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so start with impact. Factor will take care of itself. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it, and it's difficult. I mean, it's, you know, and it's clearly changed since since I was uh, climbing the ladder like that. But it's, well, you were on the committee too. So, you know, I'm the chair of the promotion and tenure committee. And so I'm on the college advisory committee for that. Yep. And it's, and it's those, you know, how much money you bring in? How many publications? How many times are you cited? But at the same time, you know, let's see your what were your DEI initiatives and all these things that aren't aren't counted, and what was your impact? And that's it's a burden for for faculty to have to count and at the same time be more subjective or qualitative in their in their narratives. And so, I've been impressed though with some of the innovation people have shown lately.
0: Agreed. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the college. We we want to talk about uh, this ecosystem in which we attempt to do what we are trying to do is academics and professional. So talk to us about what you find the most appealing about being a scholar, teacher, mentor in the College of Health and Human Sciences.
1: Well, second now to this podcast series. Uh, of course. Uh, we'll pay you later. <laughs> <laughs> Check mail. I, I really do appreciate the diversity of disciplines and the and the talent of people in the college who, you know, we share the same vision, you know, optimize the health, well-being, and development of people and communities. And I like that. I like mm-hmm. that add-on thing. Especially when community partnerships is in our title, yeah. But you know, it's interesting, especially promotion and tenure discussions, or on the on the annual college research day and stuff, to see the different you know the eight academic units. It really makes for an interesting and I think effective uh, collage, if you will, of of units that have oh, that sure. same yeah. same focus. And the other thing I really like about this college in particular is, is the I don't even know how many there are, but there are several remarkable centers. Mm-hmm. And I remember when uh, Lisa first became dean. Uh, she kind of called, it. Hey, let's have a and She because i talked to her. You know, she, I think she'd been a department chair and a center director earlier in career, but it was like, you know, because I, I was fairly new and seeing all these like, Man, I, can you introduce me to so and so? And she's like, so she, she organized a center's director's meeting and it was a, you know, so it was great to put places, faces with names and, and to see and, and to learn more about kind of the great service and, and research going on in there that's sometimes under the radar. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, so it was great. So we had all these plans, like oh, monthly or I think it was monthly or quarterly or whatever. And then, have I mentioned the pandemic? <laughs> so, so that whole thing got just derailed. Yeah. And so, but now you know, 2023, and I Lisa's interested in, in rekindling that because I, I just think that's a just a great think tank kind of environment for what does what what's going on at CH in, in the college, and then what what could we do? I mean, what does it look like five years from now and ten years from now? Like you asked me, could be a nice little you, incubator, right? Yeah. Seen, no, yeah, I think it's yeah. just a great you know collaborative environment. Get right. us, trap us in a room, bring donuts. I think I you get some good good ideas out of it absolutely
0: so so the next layer up is this land grant institution Colorado state University and so this this strikes me as an easy question for you given how embedded you are in in the community you know you don't plant your flag on campus and roll down the shades and yeah. stare at your computer all day right so talk to us about what it means to you as a professional to to work at a land grant institution
1: yeah i that is easy, I think, and I think all of us kind of subscribe to that. You know, I'm not, I don't sit in my ivory tower like you do as as much, <laughs> but <Two shit. laughs> it really is, you know, And again, the name of our, our center, the Center for Community Partnerships, but even the research we do, it's it's real world research. Indeed. And so it can't be, we don't do it in the lab and then go, well, why aren't you people doing this? We're like, in there, you know, I partner with Anschutz, uh, the medical school down there. And uh, I got collaborators at uh, UNC, and I, I just think even the potential, which I haven't taken—I've tried a few times, but I haven't taken advantage of it—but extension. I mean, that's yeah, a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, every, in every county in the state, to me, it's a great resource that and I, I think is two-way in terms of the opportunities to make an impact and to make an impact that's meaningful to the people you're trying to impact. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's been—and and again, small scale for me. I primarily stay in Lumber County with my with our kind of outreach, but it's just having that vast network is, is unique. And I think it's, uh, like you said, what's, what's next. I think that is on, on the radar to try to make some of the stuff that we're doing here. Why can't we do that at Pueblo or in the yeah. Eastern Plains? And so mm-hmm. I'll need to collaborate, but I think that is, that's kind of a bucket list for me is to take more advantage of the land grant, uh, both mission and scope than I have.
0: Yeah take advantage of our strength in numbers and geography, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's a perfect spot, I think, to wrap things up. So on behalf of the college, I want to say thanks a ton for coming. We really enjoyed the the chat. And I I now have to retire back to my ivory tower of (laughs) course. I'm going to get out to the community and see what people need. Uh, Thanks a
1: lot, guys. That was was, was very, very comfortable. Great.
0: Another great interview is in the books. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health and Human Science Matters.
1: Stay tuned for the next episode. It's on the way. In the meantime, go listen to our episodes from Seasons 1, 2, and 3. And if you want to learn more about our CSU College of Health and Human Sciences, go to www.chhs.colostate.edu.